0: Hello and welcome to the Nobel Prose Podcast devoted to breaking down scientific research, making it understandable for those outside the field. Instead of sifting through dense and obscure research because you have a life, I do it for you because I'm a graduate student, which is synonymous with not having a life. I am your host, E. Rosalie, a public health biology graduate student at the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. The views expressed in this podcast reflect only me and are not affiliated with nor approved by any institution. People don't want studies sent to them. They want a a human to tell them what, what they really think. And so That is what I mean to do in this episode. And if something comes out later that conflicts with it, it's possible that this information might become outdated. So just keep yourself aware of that. Check things out for yourself always. um, And just be careful of where you get your information because um, to quote Abraham Lincoln... Anybody can put anything on the internet. There is a bias in the human mind. When we emphasize things that support our view, and we tend to ignore the things that don't. And this can sometimes be called confirmation bias. It can be called motivated reasoning, where we're really motivated to believe whatever it is, uh, that, that we believe. Um, and some people take that to mean that if you're motivated, it must be something good, but we can have motivation or unconscious motivation to believe something, even if it's not positive. This is how entire towns used to become convinced that somebody was a witch. So what would happen is somebody would say, Hey, you know, she's kind of odd. I wonder if she's a witch. And then they look back and they view everything in light of that suspicion. So they might go, hey, you know, like she stopped by last week and then I got sick and I saw her buying herbs. But this is working backwards to support a theory that you already have. Because if you were working from the evidence, you were never going to go, I got sick after running into so-and-so, and and they bought herbs. It wouldn't lead you there. And you also then have to explain everybody else that was around when you got sick and everybody else buying herbs. But if you do it backwards, then you can convince yourself that things that are not supportive are. And so uh, when you have a video or a theory, whatever, and some of the claims in it are true, and you have that cognitive bias working, it can be very convincing. I actually don't watch them. I I ask other people to tell me what their questions are. And the reason is because I know how the human mind works. Everybody is subjective to, to those biases, and they can be powerful. And that is why I never say that somebody's lying when they say a treatment worked. I believe that their experience of it was that it worked or that they received that treatment and they got better. That doesn't prove that it caused it, but I, I understand that that's their experience. So that's another thing. I think people say, well, if you're saying that, you're saying I'm a liar and it's, it's not that at all. So, um, We need to just be conscious of the way in which the mind can kind of work against us and make us believe things that aren't true. So there is a video floating around on the interwebs. And one of the claims that it makes is that uh, Dr. Tony Fauci, who is an infectious disease expert, in the United States, and uh, Bill Gates both made claims prior to the outbreak that these would that this would happen, and that they were so adamant that it's proof that they knew that it was going to happen, and therefore the logical conclusion is that they had a hand in it. So. I want to go backwards, and start with what is true. It is absolutely true that both of those people said that we would have an outbreak that would be devastating. The problem is that there were many people, myself included, who said that this would happen that it was a matter of time. And actually, in November of 2015, there was a paper published and it's titled A SARS-like Cluster of Circulating Bat Coronaviruses Shows Potential for Human Emergence. Now, coronaviruses have become an, a virus family of interest in recent years, and that is because we've seen it spill over, as with SARS, and also with MERS, which is a it's another version of SARS, uh, essentially. Just to make it easy, um, and so we knew that that these were spilling over more frequently, and so they were something of a concern. And there were research expeditions that went into uh, the cave where they believe SARS came from and so what I mean to to show you is that they absolutely predicted this as did many many people and this was very foreseeable and I think that is what is so frustrating to scientists right now. A common question that I'm receiving is about whether or not hospitals are being incentivized to lie about COVID cases in order to get more money, and that that is inflating the count, and that this shows that it's at least not at the scale that we say it is. In order for hospitals to get reimbursed, they have to meet certain criteria. In order for someone to be marked a COVID case, they must meet the case definition. And for a probable case, that means they need an epidemiologic contact. So somebody we know tested positive, or if they have a a diagnostic, so that's, you know, a a test showing antibodies, or um, they they may have a lot of the symptoms, and there's not a better explanation. So there can't be a better explanation and a probable uh, diagnosis. Now, these cases will have a history. And when they go to the morgue, you can't just simply change it to something that doesn't fit, just so you can turn it in to get more. That would be a very poor decision on a hospital's part because there will be investigations. There will be auditing, I guarantee it. And if a hospital is caught committing fraud, they will no longer be able to take Medicare and Medicaid patients. So they would effectively cut off their flow of income in the future. And it's not a risk that makes sense. The reason that COVID patients are reimbursed at about 20% more than a less severe hospitalization is because these infections are severe. And oftentimes these patients are sick for weeks. The care is more expensive. And there's just not a lot of incentive there to lie because there are a lot of COVID patients. We know in the U.S. that we're seeing what's called excess death. And so we have confirmed cases that are tested, but we have death that exceeds the norm for that time of year. And it's not explained now, this indicates that we're probably undercounting and I would suspect that we are simply because we do have such limited testing and we let this go for so long before we got started. So there's not a good reason to, it doesn't make sense to lie in, order, in a way that would jeopardize future income. Other claims that I have seen that these patients are being intubated really early, much earlier than you would if they had something else. And that happens because the data that we have out of Italy showed that if you are intubating these people late, it's not worth it. They're not being saved. So if you're going to intubate them and, and have a hope of saving them, it needs to be done early. So that shift was a function of evidence that we had. And yes, hospitals are reimbursed more for patients when they're intubated. And that's because they're a lot more expensive to care for. So these apparently kind of looking nefarious on the surface circumstances often don't have the underlying conspiracy that people piece together. There's a lot of people who would have to work together for this to happen, including the doctors who are not paid like the hospital is paid. Um, And they could lose their I mean, I could see a circumstance where they could lose their license. Um, Obviously, the hospital could lose its ability to receive Medicare or Medicaid pay. So all of these things don't support idea that this is going to be a widespread problem that's leading the cases to appear higher than they are. And there are indicators that we're undercounting. And one of those is we know how many deaths we should expect during a time of year. So if we subtract the cases that have been confirmed, we still see significant excess death. These are way more than we would expect. Above flu, above the heart attacks, counting all of those. We still have all these deaths and it's significant. And so the question is, what exactly is killing those people? well, we have an outbreak. It's probably COVID. Those are not being counted, by the way, in the numbers because we just can't say that they were. But it's worth noting because it speaks to how widespread the outbreak is and uh, how limited we are in terms of testing. So around mid-March, we saw comparisons of COVID-19 to the flu uh, begin circulating. And good articles did come out, but the myth really took hold. And I understand why, because if you are have no reason to be familiar with the reasons that COVID is different, they may not jump out at you right away. Let's assume they're talking about the seasonal flu, because that is what a lot of people are talking about. COVID is around twice as infectious, so it's going to spread twice as fast or twice as easily. The incubation period for COVID is unusually long. It can go up to 14 days. So with the flu, usually 24, or 48 hours, maybe a little longer. That's the longest it's going to be incubating. So you're not going to get a chance to spread to a lot of people before you know you're sick. That is not the case with COVID. People will spread this all over the place before they ever feel sick. So, if we tell people just to stay home when they don't feel well, they're still going. We're not going to get a handle on this. And because it's more infectious than the flu, it's got a leg up in that direction. So, the other key differences are that the hospital the hospitalization rate for the flu is much lower let's say it's one to 2%. With COVID, 15 to 20% of people who get this are ending up in the hospital. So here we have it spreading faster, it's having more of a chance to spread before people know they're sick, they're more likely to be in the hospital. And those who are in the hospital are generally very sick. So you either have almost no symptoms or don't know you're sick, or you are extremely severely ill and it's not clear why that's the case, but it is something worth noting. The case fatality rate is not clear yet, but nobody thinks that it is. What we do know is that it is more deadly than the flu by many magnitudes. So the flu may have a 0.01, maybe 0.1% case fatality rate. COVID is probably at a minimum 1%, could be a little bit lower. But you can see how that's 10 times as many people dying. So it's actually quite a lot. And when you're seeing a lot of people infected, that adds up. And it spreads much more readily through us than the flu, because we're 100% susceptible the flu also gets herd immunity you you only need 29 to 32% of people to be infected before you start to see immunity or herd immunity with the flu so when you see people say well that vaccine was only 50% effective that's terrible why are we even getting this well you know with a little baseline immunity and then a boost from the vaccine that may be enough that's that's fine that's all we need so the amount of coverage or the amount of immunity we need to get herd immunity is not the same for every infection. And as you may have guessed, we probably need more for COVID than we do with the flu. It's probably like around 50% could be a little bit more. So but we're not starting out with a baseline 5-10% of people who have immunity. We're starting from scratch. And it's an illness that we know nothing about. If you've ever had chicken pox, you may have heard about the risk of shingles, and that's a long-term outcome that you wouldn't notice if we all got chicken pox for the first time. So we don't know if COVID has one of those long-term outcomes. And with measles, there's something called measles encephalitis, which can happen years later, and it's fatal. And we just don't want to risk that we'd like for as many people not to suffer something that could have been avoided in 1918 when the famous pandemic strain swept the world cities were less densely populated we had 1.8 billion people in the world we were less connected we didn't have the widespread air travel that we do today and that is an effective mechanism of spreading disease anywhere in the world is only a flight away. And and that really changes things. And some were likely immune in nineteen eighteen from previous outbreaks. So there were a lot of differences that make me nervous about COVID versus Even the 1918 flu, which was devastating. I also think when we see the numbers, we have to see them in light of the 1.8 billion people in the world. So when we say, you know, 50 to 100 million people died, well, that's quite a lot more in percentage than it would be today. So that's something to think about. Hello. Welcome to the Infodemic Treatment Centers of America. We're here to treat your infectious misinformation. I'm just kidding. Although, I think we may need treatment centers. Okay. Another question. One more. And then I'm going to take a nap. The bioweapons theory. To be clear, There is nothing that supports this. General Miley, a top Pentagon general, has said that the weight of evidence points toward the coronavirus having natural origins. The intelligence statement on COVID-19 from the Office of the Director of National Intelligence says, the entire intelligence community has been consistently providing critical support, to U.S. policymakers and those responding to the COVID-19 virus, which originated in China. The intelligence community also concurs with the wide scientific consensus that the COVID-19 virus was not man-made or genetically modified. Viruses that are made in a lab? especially one that's been manipulated, you will see molecular-level evidence. This looks just like a natural virus. Another really interesting thing is that SARS and COVID-19 both appear to have jumped into the human population during November, certainly during the fall. So why would that be? Well, if you study bats, something that researchers have noted is in the fall, their viral density is really high. So the number of viruses that they carry is not the same throughout the year. And so it's interesting that at the time of year when they would be carrying the most viruses, we also see the spillover. And I think that also supports a natural event. But more importantly, there's just no evidence of a bioweapon. I hope this has helped you understand what's happening and if you have any questions or concerns or comments, corrections, uh, please, please write and feel like you can reach out because I am happy to answer your questions.